You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan, here on this 31st day of May, 2013. Welcome to episode 269 of the Corbett Report podcast, Beyond Bilderberg. Well, it is the end of May, and that can only mean one thing for adherents of the alternative media. It is almost time for the annual Bilderberg meeting. And of course, we do cover the Bilderberg meeting every year here on the Corbett Report. And every year, I feel the need to add the caveat for new listeners, of whom there are more tuning in every single day, that uh, the Bilderberg conference is probably something that you've never heard of before if you have hitherto been trapped in the mainstream media matrix. And so I often will exhort people to go and find out more information about the Bilderberg conference, first and foremost, of course, by checking out the archives of CorbettReport.com for our previous work on the this uh, on this annual meeting but of course also to check out websites like even the official Bilderberg website that was set up a couple of years ago bilderbergmeetings.org where you can find such perfectly bland plain oatmeal type uh, rhetoric about the conference such as this Quote, in short, Bilderberg is a small, flexible, informal, and off-the-record international forum in which different viewpoints can be expressed and mutual understanding enhanced. Bilderberg's only activity is its annual conference. At the meetings, no resolutions are proposed, no votes taken, and no policy statements issued. Since 1954, 59 conferences have been held. For each meeting, the names of the participants as well as the agenda are made public and available to the press, end quote. Which makes it sound like a boring, blasé tea and crumpets uh, in a five-star resort that really just go to sleep, everyone. It's not worth bothering your pretty little heads about. And as I say, in years past, we would point people to BilderbergMeetings.org so that they could get the official story of the conference, and more importantly, to Bilderberg.org, where they can find the alternative story of the conference, and uh, to familiarize themselves with this. But perhaps the all of those caveats and telling people what Bilderberg is and explaining it all from scratch is becoming less and less important each year, because what we have seen since the Corbett Report, at any rate, started covering this back in 2008, uh, the Bilderberg Conference is becoming more and more something that is acknowledged in the mainstream. Of course, it is usually acknowledged in recent years simply to deride anyone who thinks it's an important event as a conspiracy theorist, but that is progress nonetheless, and once again a sign that the Infowar really is being taken to the street, and people really are starting to internalize a lot of this information. It's important for us to, to recognize that fact, and to realize that even the posting of a website like BilderbergMeetings.org is a victory, because it does show that there is incredible stress being placed on these people to, to come out into the open with this. Something that would have been absolutely inconceivable just a few short years ago when the vast majority of the public had never heard of this. So as I say, every single year, the movement against the Bilderberg uh, group and its uh, its agenda and its closed-door meetings is growing. There are more people aware of it and more people working against it. And although this year we did lose one of the giants of the anti-Bilderberg movement, Jim Tucker, who did pass away, 
even with that loss, the movement is still growing and getting stronger and stronger seemingly by the day, so that this year, there is an incredible wealth of information out there on the internet for anyone interested enough to simply type Bilderberg 2013 into a startpage.com search engine, or to the YouTube search engine, or what, what have you, to find more information, all sorts of information, including general documentaries for uh, in, designed to introduce the group to the general public, uh, activists filming themselves uh, uh, taking a walk around the, uh, the site of this year's Bilderberg Conference, which will be held in Watford in the UK, coming up at the beginning of June here, uh, and being on, almost arrested uh, for their, their troubles in the process. Uh, groups organizing a Bilderberg Counter Festival, a fringe festival that will feature not only speakers, but also musicians and artists uh, coming together to draw thousands of protesters together, hopefully at the site of this year's crime at the, uh, the Grove Hotel there in Watford in the UK. Uh, groups like We Are Change continuing to ask people uh, uh, the politicians and political uh, puppets, the hard questions about their involvement in Bilderberg Group and uh, filming them as they scurry away like cockroaches from a bright light, and even MEPs raising the issue of the Bilderberg Conference in the European Parliament. Thank you. Um, the next meeting of the Bilderberg Group is to be held in England. The location is thought to be the Grove Hotel Watford, from the 6th to the 9th of June. These annual meetings are summits of the most wealthy, powerful and influential people in the worlds of politics, finance and business. The biggest mystery surrounding them is why the mainstream newspapers and uh, broadcasters have chosen not to report on them since 1954. However, in the internet age, their existence can no longer be kept secret. I've written to all the mainstream press and TV in the UK, asking them if they intend to report on this meeting, and if not, why not? I've also submitted a Freedom of Information request to the Hertfordshire Police Commissioner, asking on what basis the policing is being provided and who is pay paying the bill. I'm very much looking forward to the responses. It was founded in the early 1950s by four people, Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, Dr. Joseph Reitinger, Dennis Healy and David Rockefeller. Prince Bernard is a royal from the Netherlands. He once received a $1.1 million bribe from Lockheed to ensure that the Lockheed F4-104 would be bought instead of the French-made Mirage 5. It was a very large defense contract. Dr. Joseph Reitinger was a man known to be incredibly well-connected in the political sphere in the early part of the 20th century. He was a driving force behind the formation of the European movement, which led to the European Union and he was a strong supporter of NATO, the North Atlantic Alliance of Countries which has a military wing. The two other key people in the initial conference held in the Netherlands was Dennis Healy, a former member of the British Parliament and David Rockefeller, a very powerful American banker. There is no official delegate list for the first ever conference in 1954, but the ones built by journalists and bloggers show a list of people who were predominantly politicians with the occasional banker and industrialist. What started out as a private political project is now, as Will Hutton put it, a gathering of the high priests of globalization. Attendees have included Bill Clinton, David Rockefeller, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, Angela Merkel, Rupert Murdoch, Henry Kissinger, 
influential senators, congressmen and parliamentarians, Pentagon and NATO brass and members of European royalty. The Bilderberg Group are the people who actually sit on the steering committee. And when you add the companies they represent, the steering committee looks like a who's who of international capitalism. The Bilderberg Group send out invitations and every year around 130 people meet. You cannot buy your way in, you have to be invited. Delegates can't bring their wives or girlfriends or husbands. They are specifically asked to not talk to the media about the meeting and their security officials have to stay in another room when the conferences take place. So it's very difficult to actually know what takes place at Bilderberg because the delegates very rarely speak about it and the media don't get anywhere near it. And for the most part, they haven't even heard of it. Okay. So uh, just, just for the camera, by the way, uh, these, I was walking down the road just past the Grove Mill and a police car, a very nicely coloured police car turned up from Hertfordshire Police. And they started asking me questions about walking on public property, uh, p private property. They asked me what my name was. I informed them that the law says, and unless I've broken any kind of law and they can prove that and they have tangible evidence, I don't have to reveal my identity. And uh, now you're up to speed. He's going to question me further. Go. Right. So can you give me your name? Right, so I can cut out some checks to see if, they, if you are known to the police, okay? Am I obliged to give you my name? You're not obliged to. Okay, so it's like a request. To, it, at this moment in time, it's starting to heighten my suspicion. Of course, like, you but you cannot... To hide you see, they're, they're actually... This is all in the wording of the law. You cannot use the suspicion of me wanting to maintain my rights as suspicion of guilt of something. That is all written in the law. But if you're, if you're as you say, a sovereign member of the, the community and what have you, what, what objection have you got? I'm quite happy to give you mine, eh? Well, it's International Press Freedom Day today, uh, and talking of which, the NATO Zone Bilderberg Power Elite come to Hertfordshire in June. Uh, let's hope there's a little bit of coverage for it in the British uh, mainstream press. There's only two things to do, arrest all these Bilderbergers for war, crimes and fraud, or to party. But it looks like the latter will be what's happening this year. But I'm proud to say there's going to be an absolute first here in Britain. It's called the Bilderberg Fringe Festival, an imaginative way of protesting against the world's most powerful criminal cartel founded by a Nazi SS officer, Prince Wernhard of the Netherlands, and chaired by him for 20 years. The Bilderberg Conference brings together the arms manufacturers, bankers, royalty and industrialists that control almost all the money in the Western world, and they want to use it to make some more, whoever gets in their way. But this year they face a new and dangerous foe, the British musicians and comedians headlining at the Bilderberg Fringe. Now, it's all taking place near their Hertfordshire Conference Centre on the second weekend in June. Now, as I say, there has been a flowering of awareness of the existence of the Bilderberg Group in recent years, and that flowering has only been accelerating in uh, in recent months with the build-up to Bilderberg 2013, so that it really is reaching further than ever out into the sphere of the public consciousness, and attended upon that flowering of awareness is also the flowering of the anti-Bilderberg sentiment, with more and more protesters uh, heading to Watford this year to join the ranks of those standing there bearing witness to the criminal acts taking place behind the closed locked doors of the Bilderberg Group 
completely in contravention to what the group says about itself on its BilderbergMeetings.org website, where they say it's a non-policy-setting event and that everything that they talk about is made public in press releases after the event, etc., etc. Of course, we know that not to be the case. We know that uh, high-ranking members of the group, including Willie Clays, has talked about how agendas and policies are set at the Bilderberg Group every year. And we know that the former head of the European Union has come out and admitted that the euro was first formulated and really hashed out at the Bilderberg Group, etc., etc., etc. We know that high-ranking members of uh, the American government, of the British government, of other governments have made their star debuts at the Bilderberg Conference, uh, and that really made their political careers, including Bill Clinton, who attended in 1991, the year before uh, earning the Democratic uh, presidential nomination, and uh, uh, Tony Blair, who uh, attended shortly before becoming Prime Minister of Britain, etc., etc. We know all of these documented facts that show that there is a reason that we need to keep our eyes on the Bilderberg Group. We need to keep pressure on this group so that they know that they can't meet behind closed doors with complete impunity. And even if there is the corporate media blackout, or even if the corporate media will only ever cover it to dismiss coverage of it as conspiracy theorizing, there is now a grassroots alternative media movement that comprises uh, uh, not corporations, not people in the know, not the politically connected, not people who have gone to journalism school and uh, and uh, adhere to all the rules, but literally people like whoever is watching me right now and me myself, everyone out there is part of this movement and everyone can take it upon themselves to become part not only of the protest, but part of the dissemination of the knowledge of the protest, which is ex- exceptionally important, at least as important as the protest itself. So I truly am 100% behind all of the people who will be attending this year, uh, who will be going to Watford to uh, to make their voices heard and to become part of this uh, this bearing t- testament to the criminality of the Bilderberg Group, and hopefully to uh, to arrest some of the war criminals in attendance there, like Henry Kissinger. One can always hope. At any rate, uh, I for people who are interested in attending, I will wholeheartedly direct them to BilderbergFringeFestival.co.uk so they can find out more information about what's happening there and the uh, speakers and uh, musicians and other acts that will be appearing there to uh, to become part of the counter-conference to the Bilderberg Group that will be happening right there at the Grove Hotel in Watford to make the people's voices heard. Or will it be happening? Well, there's still conflicting reports coming out about what kind of police uh, actions are going to be taking place at the at the conference this year, whether uh, protesters will be allowed anywhere near the front entrance, or if they are near the front entrance, whether everyone will be coming in in the re- rear entrance, etc., etc. There's all sorts of uh, conflicting reports coming out, and the latest is that the Bilderberg Fringe Festival application has been rejected by the Watford uh, Council by uh, at Cassiobury Park. So... For the latest on that, I would suggest people go to the Watford Observer at watfordobserver.co.uk slash news, and that will have all of the latest information about what's happening there and uh, whether the festival is a go, and if so, where and when and how it will be taking place, etc., as well as, of course, as the Bilderberg Fringe Festival website. Now, of course, once again, all of this is exceptionally important. It is a sign that we are winning, that there is more and more attention being placed on the Bilderberg Group, and this is a good thing, and I'm 100% supportive of it, and I myself will be uh, hopefully putting out a video next week about the Bilderberg 2013 conference and hopefully getting some follow-up interviews for the Corbett Report website with some of the people who will be in attendance there at the the Fringe Festival and at, uh, at at the protest. But having said all of that, I think... 
Once again, it's important for us to step back for a moment and to reflect on what's happening now as more people are becoming aware of the Bilderberg Conference, because I think we should always be second-guessing our own strategies, tactics, and information, and it seems to me that if everyone is putting all of their eggs in the Bilderberg basket, it means that there are other places where very similar types of meetings and conferences and events and behind-closed-door secret uh, uh, dealings can be going on, without so much uh, scrutiny. In fact, if I were, and I think it's always important for us for time to time to put ourselves in the other person's shoes and see if we can understand the strategy from their perspective, if I were a member of the would-be ruling class with uh, eugenicist obsession and uh, depopulation uh, fixation, and who really wanted to uh, to affect these types of uh, policy-setting events and, and bring together some of the most powerful, richest people in the world together in secrecy, I would uh, make sure that if and when the Bilderberg Conference and other like-minded uh, events are exposed, that those become the types of decoy events, the types of uh, ones that you can dangle out there as, as almost limited hangouts for the protesters, where the real conferences, the real meetings, the real dealings would be done behind even further closed the doors, behind doors that people don't even know exist. That would be what I would be thinking if I was part of this ruling elite, and uh, I would be very surprised if they have not thought the same thing, especially as the protests of the Bilderberg Conference grow year after year after year. So it does bring to mind the question of, well, are there alternative meetings to the Bilderberg Conference going on? If so, what kind of meetings? Uh, what who, who comprises these meetings? What kind of meetings are we talking about? Well, we don't have to completely speculate on this fact. We do know about some of the types of events that could be alternatives to the Bilderberg Conference, at least in certain respects, attended by certain people. And there was a recent example that, for, uh, for instance, we covered on a recent edition of The New World next week. Bill Gates, Bloomberg, and the world's richest all meeting on a gated South Carolina island. Has the Bilderberg meeting maybe become a little too mainstream for some of the world's richest elites? Warren Buffett and, of course, the Monsanto-linked Bill Gates to Oprah and Jeb Bush. The local media in South Carolina began reporting a little bit on closed-door meetings between billionaires and politicians at the gated beach island of Kiowa, South Carolina. So this story from StoryLeak.com basically points out that it seems like only one CBS affiliate there, WBTW, is reporting on it, where they note that 20 highly expensive jets were lined up at the Charleston International Airport on Johns Island and that Bill Gates and others were at the Sanctuary Hotel on Kiowa Island. The attendee list, according to the CBS report, includes Jeb Bush, Mayor Michael Bloomberg, Bill and Melinda Gates, Dan Gilbert, who's the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Warren Buffett, Oprah, and many, many more. We wish them luck with what they're doing, Mayor Charles LaPuma said. If they want to play golf, they couldn't have picked a better weekend. We are glad we could offer them great weather. The mayor is just so thrilled he could offer them up some great weather, so who cares what they're actually doing? So who cares about any of the concerns of whether or not you know it completely violates fundamental laws of crafting policy behind closed doors? But James, who cares? 
Yeah, no big deal. No, um, this is Shades of the Good Club. I'm sure everyone might recall back May 5th, 2009, when uh, at the president's house at Rockefeller University, Buffett, Gates, Rockefeller, Turner, Winfrey, and others met a combined net worth of $125 billion, um, conservatively, um, met behind closed doors to talk about population reduction. And that came out uh, little by little in a few stories here and there in the international press. And uh, this time, we don't have any inroads so far as to what they're talking about, but I bet you if it ever does come out, it'll be something along the lines of population control, eugenics, uh, biometrics, whatever the next uh, craze might be. And it's important for people to uh, keep their eyes on these types of meetings um, as much as possible as well. Uh, Obviously, a lot of attention gets put on things like the Bilderberg uh, meeting that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks here in Watford in England, and uh, and deservedly so. I think obviously people should show up there. They should protest. They should make their voices heard. They should uh, let them know that we are watching them. But equally so in this uh, connected age. I mean, we would be ridiculously nice to think that Bilderberg was just this one one-off thing that happens once a year and that's the only meeting that takes place. Obviously, these people are meeting all over the world at all times and not necessarily face-to-face. This is an electronic age. So all sorts of backroom dealings go on that we can only begin to even get a sense and a tinkling, a tingling of what's going on with our spidey sense. So it is important for us to try to keep our eye on this and, and to remember that even things like the Bilderberg group, although they do have their once annual big meeting, they also have a lot of off-the-record unofficial functions, like the uh, the Bilderberg dinner uh, at which uh, the uh, the dear leader of the Fourth Reich, uh, Hermann von Rumpy of the European Union, was selected for his position. I believe that was back in December of 2009 or something, a few years ago now. Anyway, so there's a lot of events that take place, and we should uh, we should be trying to dig up as much dirt on this as we can as well, because uh, again, all these sorts of backroom dealings are taking place um, all throughout the year, and we. We shouldn't just concentrate on the one-off Bilderberg event. I mean, there's a lot more that goes on behind closed doors. I hadn't really thought of it until you kind of were talking there, James. We should also mention, because I don't think either of us ever have mentioned it, of course, a hat tip and and rest in peace to Jim Tucker, one of the longtime investigative journalists who let us actually pretty much know about Bilderberg. He's one of the main key guys in getting that story out. James, maybe instead of population control, maybe maybe they're just crafting up the 2016 run where it's just going to be, you know, Jeb and George P. Bush run against Hillary because it's, you know, it's all the circle of life in, in a way. The that, inclusion of Jeb Bush in that list should make us all very nervous for 2016. Uh-huh. Anyone who is not deeply concerned about a meeting of some of the wealthiest billionaires in the planet who have met in previous years about the prospect of depopulation, meeting behind closed doors with such people as 2016 presidential candidate Jeb Bush, anyone who's not deeply concerned about that prospect should probably have their head checked because that is a very, very worrying sign for a number of reasons. And it's important that people go and familiarize themselves with the information that I referenced there in that uh, video clip. And I will refrain from playing it, even though I really do enjoy playing it every single time, because it is one of the most stunning examples of the absolute uh, infantilization of the media in recent years. But uh, for anyone who is not familiar with it, there is a video clip of, uh, I believe, uh, Good Morning America, or one of those types of shows, doing an expose, doing a report on the meeting of the Good Club in New York a few years ago, where Rockefeller, Gates, Winfrey, etc. met behind closed doors to discuss depopulation. And they ended up framing it in this bizarre report that revolved around a cartoon, The Super Friends, as if these were 
superheroes doing some wonderful thing by meeting behind closed doors to discuss depopulation. It was a bizarre, silly example of the ridiculous levels that the mainstream media has fallen to in their pandering to the lowest common denominator. But I've played it many times on the podcast before, so I'll refrain from, from playing it out right now. But uh, but as I say, uh, it's extremely interesting to take a look at that, and uh, especially in the context of the recent meeting of this, uh, this, this mysterious club of depopulation fanatics. And unfortunately, there's basically, as far as I can find, no information whatsoever that has come out about what was actually discussed behind closed doors there. So if anyone has any information or can dig up any information on that meeting, I am all ears. Please send it in through the contact form on CorbettReport.com. But that is an example of how we can, even if we do know that such an event is taking place, we still might not know anything whatsoever about what's really happening behind those closed doors and whether or not we have have a full list or even a partially uh, reflective list of the, the participants in such a meeting. Who knows who else was meeting there? I mean, all we have to go on are the few reports that came out d- discussing that the fact that this uh, this island resort had been booked up by Gates and friends, but we don't really know who was there and we don't have any idea what they were discussing. That is an example of the type of meeting that can go on without the type of hoopla and inf- and, and protest that, that surrounds the Bilderberg group. And uh, and it, once again, if I was part of that jet set, I would certainly be looking at those types of quiet hush-hush behind closed doors meetings to enact the uh, the real deals and, and make sure that things really function smoothly from behind the scenes. Bilderberg can be like the big carrot that you dangle in front of the, the protesters to direct their attention. So uh, again, this is all speculation as to what else might be taking place that we haven't even begun to have heard of. But suffice it to say, there is probably, in my mind, there is no doubt whatsoever that those types of things are happening all the time. And especially now in this information age, uh, they don't need to physically meet in order to uh, to uh, meet. So, uh, I, again, we really have no idea what's going on. I think the point is to direct people towards the secrecy. And, again, I think Bilderberg is a good way of directing people towards that. But we have to also... I think broaden our understanding of how these these types of meetings work and the the types of networks that can form not necessarily around a specific group, a specific meeting, a specific setting of uh, specific individuals. It can be loose associations of interlocking networks of groups that might have certain affiliations on certain issues that might differ on other issues. It doesn't have to be one total monolithic all-seeing conspiracy of people who direct every single event. It can be networks of individuals who come together at the right times, in the right places, for the reasons that will set their agenda on the right uh, path forward. And that, in many ways, is a much, much more insidious conspiracy to confront, because it's much more difficult to even identify, even to name such a group, would be impossible, because it isn't a group. It's an amorphous grouping of people who come together as, as they see fit on those agenda issues that they want to move further down the political football field. That is an extremely difficult thing to confront. So that is uh, that is something that I think we need to start looking into a little bit more closely. So in order to do that, uh, recently on the eye-opener on Boiling Frog 
blogspost.com, I had a series of reports on lesser known, lesser examined uh, groups and and uh, and secret societies that come together to uh, to function more or less in the open or more or less behind closed doors on uh, a number of important subjects and to drive various agendas forward. So we looked at things like the Zionist Organization of America, we looked at Chatham House, uh, we looked at Common Purpose UK, etc. So I will put the links to those the, to that series in in the uh, in the show notes for today's episode. But I want to concentrate on the first uh, edition of that series, which was entitled Rings Within Rings, and which concentrated on the the type of group that came together in uh, around the Cecil Rhodes Roundtable, and how that functions as a very effective, extremely effective template for how these types of organizations, meetings, secret societies, etc. can work as these types of amorphous groupings and associations that are very difficult to pinpoint and identify, and thus even harder to really uh, to, to undermine or to, to combat. So let's take a look at that report, once again called Rings Within Rings, available from BoilingFrogsPost.com. Welcome. This is James Corbett of The Corbett Report, with your eye-opener report for BoilingFrogsPost.com. The idea that global politics is directed by a small group of well-connected elite has long been decried as conspiracy theory by the establishment and their media outlets. As listeners to the most recent Corbett Report podcast will know, however, this idea is now openly discussed and acknowledged by those very figures that once sought to deride it. You mentioned something earlier that you've done that comes up right in the spot that you're sitting many times by our callers across the country. And that is a suspicion that there is a conspiracy put through the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations. You ran the Trilateral Commission for how long? About three years, I think. Something like that, three years. Not only did I run it, I helped to found it and organize it with David Rockefeller. So if any of our viewers are conspiracy-minded, here is one of the conspirators. They call it coordination of regulation. What it really is, is putting the American economy under international regulation. Yeah. And those people who have been yelling, oh, the UN's going to take over global conspiracy government. Theorists. Conspiracy theorists. They've been crazy, but now they must, they're right. Yeah, well, when Geithner, it's happening. when Geithner said he would be open to the idea of a global currency last exactly. week, yeah. th- those conspiracy people had said and suggested that for That's years. Right. You're not wrong. The reality is it's not conspiracy. What brings this group its power is that very often these very dif- different, very diverse people find that their interests align. And when the interests of the most powerful align about taxes or about regulation or about politics or about global warming, they have, wait for it, more power than the least powerful people, right? And there is a multiplication that comes from the networks that connect them together. And so this is, you know, a, a, you know an extremely important component of their power. In fact, while these types of admissions may be new in our current socio-political context, they have been well known, well understood, and widely promulgated by respected statesmen and scholars for centuries. In a letter to George Snyder on October 24, 1798, 
First U.S. President George Washington warned that the doctrines of the Illuminati had spread in the United States, adding that the notion that members of secret societies were trying to separate the American people from their government is too evident to be questioned. In 1828, the Anti-Masonic Party became America's first third-party political grouping. The party was formed after the murder of Freemasonic whistleblower William Morgan. The Morgan affair ignited anger in a public that was becoming weary of Masonic influence over their society, and the Anti-Masonic Party was surprisingly popular in the 1828 elections, introducing the concepts of nominating conventions and political platforms to U.S. electoral politics. In his 1913 book, The New Freedom, President Woodrow Wilson, whose presidency saw the introduction of the Federal Reserve, the first income tax, and the proposal for the League of Nations, wrote, Some of the biggest men in the United States, in the field of commerce and manufacture, are afraid of somebody, are afraid of something. They know that there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive, that they had better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. One of the most scholarly treatises on this subject in the 20th century came from the pen of Georgetown scholar and respected historian Carol Quigley. An influential political scholar whose students included the likes of Bill Clinton, Quigley wrote extensively about the organizations controlling world politics from behind the scenes and the methods they used to achieve their goals in works like The Anglo-American Establishment and Tragedy and Hope. As researcher and author G. Edward Griffin explains, Quigley outlined how these secret organizations direct world politics by creating a network of interlocking organizations able to influence policymakers and decision takers around the world. The structure that Cecil Rhodes created, and remember this is all described primarily by Professor Quigley, was out outwardly modeled after the Jesuit order. That's right. I was surprised to read that. The Jesuit order? Quigley was a great admirer of the structure of the Jesuits, and he decided to model his secret society after that structure. But at the deeper level, it was clear that he borrowed the structure from the Illuminati. And now everyone knows that the Illuminati existed at one time, it was created in 1776 by Adam Weishaupt, but shortly thereafter it was exposed in Bavaria. Uh, the police raided it, they arrested its members, they discovered its, its uh, ledgers and its books and its papers, which is why we know so much about them. They're part of the public record now. We know what the Illuminati was trying to do and how they were structured and how they organized and so forth. And so that's part of the record, but we are told that the Illuminati ceased to exist after that date. I think it probably did, but whether it did or not, certainly others like Cecil Rhodes picked it up. They picked up the concept. I don't know if there's a historical continuity back to Adam Weishaupt. I don't think it makes an awful lot of difference when we realize that there are people like Cecil Rhodes who read Adam Weishaupt's work and said, hey, this is a good idea. Let's use it. And that's basically what Cecil Rhodes did. He adopted the strategy that Weishaupt created of he called it rings within rings within rings. That means that the center of the secret society would be run by one individual with perhaps a little brain trust around him of two or three people. They would be the absolute rulers of this whole structure. Then they would create around them 
a ring, as they called it, a larger organization, which they would dominate. They would control it absolutely from the center. But the other members who were recruited into this larger organization would not be allowed to know that there was an inner control and direction. They were brought in for a lesser view of the whole purpose. And that was the outer ring. And that might be 20, 30, 50 people, maybe 100 people. And then outside of that, there would be a larger ring, another organization created with hundreds of people, perhaps thousands of people. And they would not be allowed to know or would they even suspect that there was an inner ring controlling the larger outer ring. And this is what Weissop called rings within rings within rings. Cecil Rhodes thought that was a dandy idea. And so he adopted it as the structure for his secret society. What one develops through an exploration of Quigley's writings is not some easily parodied amorphous conspiracy of them and some vaguely defined Illuminati that may or may not have anything to do with the Bavarian order of the Illuminati founded by Adam Weishaupt in 1776, but an interlocking series of centrally controlled organizations of interest populated mostly by those on the outer circle who have no idea what agenda those on the inner circle are aiming at. In this view, the conspiracy is not monolithic, but made up of groupings of individuals united by a common ideology, sometimes with differing views of how to achieve their goals. In 2009, I had the chance to talk to G. Edward Griffin about what he believes to be the uniting ideology behind these various groups. The underlying um, engine for almost all of the problems that concern us today is an ideology of all things. It's not even people. Oh, yes, there are people with names, and they hold positions and all of that, but they're always changing. Those people are replaced by other people. And if you look at the common thread between them, it's that they share a common ideology. They all think the same. And so it really makes no difference who is in power or who holds that particular position. Uh, nothing really changes. We've noticed as we go from one decade to the next, from one political party to the next, from one regime to the next, uh, people die, new ones come up, nothing changes, the trend just continues. And it's because all of those people in the chain of command have shared an ideology. Well, what is the ideology? It's called collectivism. It's a strange word to the ear for many people today, but as I was doing my research a little while ago, I, I discovered that the word collectivism was quite commonly used and well understood uh, about a century ago. You'll find it a lot in the political writings of, uh, of uh, our forefathers and the historians of the time. And when you start in analyzing it, we realize that Today's world and yesterday's world hasn't really changed that much except words. The underlying struggle is between two ideologies, two political uh, views. One is collectivism and the other one is individualism. And there again is a word that um, hasn't been very well used of late, but it's very, it's very common in the older literature. But these words I'm attempting to revive and cause people to understand the differences between collectivism and individualism. And although we don't have the time for this uh, brief session to go into it all, I'll just give you an, an overview. Collectivism is the concept of great big government, of control from the top down, all power at the top, and, and the people at the bottom being but mere little 
uh, serfs and, and servants of, of the larger group, the society, the state, the government. Uh, individualism is the uh, other way around, just tip the pyramid upside down that, uh, you know, the foundation of the whole society is the individual. And the purpose of society is to, is to protect the rights of the individual and uh, to guard the individual even against the group if necessary. And uh, so there are two entirely different philosophies. The underlying philosophy of collectivism is that the group is more important than the individual and that the individual must be sacrificed if necessary for the greater good of the greater number. If we are to find the organizing principle of these interlocking societies in the philosophy of collectivism and the quest for world government, the obvious question is, who are these people and what organizations are part of this conspiracy? For those with even a slight acquaintance with this subject, there are obvious and well-known examples. The Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group. In this series of eye-opener reports, we will examine some of the lesser-known groups that constitute part of this system of rings within rings. The Royal Institute of International Affairs, the Canadian Council of Chief Executives, Common Purpose UK, Meanwhile, it's important to note that this conspiracy is not the monolithic, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful cabal that controls every event in the world, however much those in positions of genuine political power would like the public to see them in that light. Instead, they are people motivated by a shared goal who are privy to all of the common failings of organizations. Insularity, hubris, infighting, irrationality. As such, it is also important to note that just because a small number of people currently wield enormous power in world politics does not mean that it necessarily has to be so. Instead, an informed, engaged, motivated, and active citizenry must be organized to counter this conspiracy, and it must do so by refusing to be intimidated by conspiracy theory labels or other cheap rhetorical tactics, and deal with the facts as they present themselves. This video is brought to you by the subscribers of BoilingFrogsPost.com. For more information on this and other topics, please go to BoilingFrogsPost.com. For more information and commentary from James Corbett, please go to CorbettReport.com. Well, I hope at any rate that the spirit and the intention of today's episode is not lost on the audience, namely that it is important that we do have an anti-Bilderberg movement, but of course the anti-Bilderberg movement cannot simply stop at Bilderberg content to wait another year in order to protest uh, these people once again. I think we need to take cues more from people like We Are Change that are confronting individual members of this network at every single possible opportunity. And for an excellent example of that, I would refer people to the recent confrontation with Henry Kissinger, which we'll be talking about and examining in more depth in an upcoming episode of this podcast. But uh, but once again, some excellent work that's going on in all corners of the alternative media se se sector, uh, exposing these these players on this uh, on this global stage. And it is exceptionally important that this work continues and that it doesn't just end at Bilderberg and that people don't dust their hands after the Bilderberg conference. 
wraps up and waits for the next year's conference to begin again. I think we have to be aware that this agenda is unfolding 365 days a year and uh, 366 in leap years. So uh, on that note, I would direct people once again to my uh, conversation on The Mind Renewed, talking about world government and the real agenda behind it if they want uh, a a really in-depth and interesting conversation on these topics. I think I couldn't recommend that particular interview highly enough. So I will put the link to that in the show notes. And for people who are still interested in more about Bilderberg, there's, again, all sorts of information coming out. So I'll put in some more links as well in the in the show notes for today's episode, including a link to uh, a forthcoming Daniel Estulin documentary that's currently being worked on about Bilderberg. And, uh, and again, uh, please keep in touch with not only CorbettReport.com, but of course the rest of the alternative media for more information about Bilderberg 2013 as, when, and if it starts coming out. So on that note, I think we'll leave it there for today. Once again, if uh, if you have any uh, ideas for some of the groups that uh, that might be functioning as the the real meat behind the Bilderberg uh, facade, please uh, please let me know. I'm all ears. Once again, at the Corbett Report uh, contact form, CorbettReport.com/contact. And on that note, I will leave it there, but I would also like to very much wholeheartedly thank Keith from ParadigmShift.tv for the, the pr- pr- production of brand new graphics for this uh, this vodcast. So for people watching the video, you'll notice the new logo and uh, design. That's all from Keith at ParadigmShift.tv. Once again, ParadigmShift.tv uh, is playing the Corbett Report and New World Next Week, etc. on uh, Sky Channel uh, 251, I believe. Uh, you can check Paradigm shift.tv for the the details on that but once again a wholehearted thanks to keith for the production of those graphics and for paradigmshift.tv for relaying this message and on that note we're going to leave it there for this week i am james corbett thanking you for joining me and asking you to join me again next week for another edition of the corbett report changes here so let's all give a cheer for mark dice jim talker and everyone else who is standing right here rock you the corbett report is brought to you by you your support makes the corbett report possible sign up for the subscriber newsletter or purchase a dvd at corbettreport.com support